Thank you for tuning in to Carbondale Historical Society's podcast. This episode is part of our This I Remember audio archive. This archive are interviews conducted in the 1980s and 90s by Mary Ferguson, a longtime resident of Carbondale, born in Spring Gulch. These interviews aired on Katie and Kay and were recently donated to the Historical Society by Mary's descendants. The Historical Society wants to thank Katie and Kay, Seven Stars Rebecca Lodge Number 91, Alpine Bank and Meredith and Dan Bullock Ferguson's family, as well as the many other donors and volunteers who came together to save these tapes and make them forever available to our Carbondale community. Enjoy. This I remember Mary Ferguson, Katie and Kay, Carbondale. Tonight, my guest is Sue Futch Hunts, who has been almost a native since she's lived in this area since she was two years old. She is one of our teachers, a good teacher. When she came to Carbondale to be to investigate the school and all, she was a tiny, frightened little girl. She's no longer a frightened girl. She's a successful teacher and a wonderful actress. Sue, tell us something about your experiences of your school life and Carbondale and the changes you see and the changes we're looking for. Okay. Um, as you just said, I was I came into Glenwood Springs when I was two years old and uh, started in um, high, or high school. I started in kindergarten in 1947. Seems like a hundred years ago. And at that time, uh, the Blytho Elementary School, actually it was the Glenwood Springs Elementary School, was um, it was K through eight, and I can remember as a kindergartner walking down the halls and seeing all the eighth graders, I mean, actually in line going to the bathroom, if you can imagine. Um, at that time, there were two buses, actually there were three. There was a funny looking little blue thing. It looked like something that they had gotten from the army uh, that went out the, to the canyon to pick up the kids. And then there was one little, tiny little green thing that went up Cattle Creek to pick up the Cattle Creek kids. And then there was one strange bus that picked up all the rest of the kids. And most of the rest of us walked to school at that time. It was uh, pretty small, but it was a lot of fun. It was one building. And uh, at that time, the place where the administration building was, that's where the high school was. And uh, there were <laughs> there were all kinds of birds. I remember you used to take the kindergartners up there to see all these birds that were in the um, in the hallway at the high school. It, they were all stuffed birds, beautiful things. I think they're out at the outdoor ed. I really right don't know where they are now. I think that's where they are. I think that's some, somehow or another they managed to get out there. But um, oh, I don't know what else would you like me to say about just the area or what it yes. was like. Okay, I remember Go coming ahead. up here for games when we played uh, Carbondale Union High School when they were the Carbondale Bulldogs. Right. And uh, we had basketball games in what is now the library at Carbondale Middle School. And there was no place to sit. There was one line of chairs all the way around, and you had to just kind of scrunch up against the wall, except there was a balcony, and you could sit up in the balcony. And at, in those days, if you dated someone in Carbondale, they had to call you long distance in Glenwood Springs. And it, yes. I was, that was a big deal to get a call from a Carbondale kid because you knew they were calling long distance in those days. Oh, in those days, we didn't have... Um, 
copy machines, you know, like they will run Xerox copies over and over and over again. Uh, so when we went into music, we would have to copy everything off the board. Patsy Guadnola would write all the words of the of the songs we were to learn that day. She would write them up on the board, and then we'd copy them down in our notebooks. And rarely did we even have books, the regular music books, to learn from. Um, oh, and, and they, we used to have a nativity. Uh, yes, every year. Yeah, they are not That's allowed anymore, but from the time you were little, in kindergarten, you looked at the eighth graders, and the eighth graders were always the ones that got to be Mary and Joseph, and we were always the the, the angels that got to sing. But by the time I got to be an eighth grader, well, the eighth grade was no longer at the elementary school anyway. <laughs> but uh, we always looked at the eighth graders for that. We didn't even have a hot lunch program at that time. I can remember the smell of that lunchroom, everybody's oranges and bologna sandwiches. And my mother always would send elk heart sandwiches with me and make everybody else around me sick because they couldn't stand the looks of my, my sandwiches that I would take to school. But they, things have changed quite a bit now. I made my first duplicating machine. I used a cookie tray and uh, unflavored gelatin, set it real, real hard, and used a special pencil made all the copies I wanted to, one by one. And you just just placed it over placed there and it smoothed it out and then pulled it off? And, and pulled it off. Did you have to set them all in little piles so that they would so, dry and yes. not stick together? <laughs> not stick together. <laughs> but, of course, at that time we didn't have hundreds of kids that we have in this day and age. When I first taught, I taught in the country school on Divide Creek. I had all eight grades. But I only had about eight or ten kids. Mm -hmm. But that was a lot of fun. Do you remember up at the, the Cattle Creek School? Yes, uh, in the Cattle, Cattle Creek. I taught in Cattle oh, Creek did School. Oh, you really? The Lower Cattle Creek School, uh -huh. yes. It's a, a home up on, on Cattle Creek somewhere, or Missouri Heights, or somewhere up in there. Mm -hmm. A nice building now. They used to have the best dances there at the Cattle Creek yes. School. And Missouri Heights School, that, that was one of the things we always had was the dances. But uh, then after you came to um, Carbondale, after you graduated, you, um, tell us about your career okay. after that. What I did was I went to school in, uh, at Greeley, when it was um, Colorado State College in the olden days, uh, at least a little bit past uh, Greeley normal. Yes. <laughs> the colors yes. were lavender and yellow. Then they were Colorado State College bears and they were purple and gold. Anyway, I got my degree in special education and in elementary education. And uh, I taught in Jefferson County and in Fort Collins before I came over to uh, Carbondale to the Roaring Fork School District. And um, they were starting a brand new uh, thing in Roaring Fork School District called a special education department. And that meant we took children who were having really uh, heavy-duty problems in the regular classroom we took them and put them in a regular in a classroom for they were like 16 in each and I would have kids from ages 6 to 6 or 6 to 16 right and uh, they I taught them everything uh, and we used what it was known as the unit method we rarely had regular books. We made up our own books at that time. Yes, we did. And uh, what we did was um, 
we would teach like we would teach all of the math and all of the English and all of the social studies with one particular unit for instance like uh, with very small children they would learn about uh, the firemen but they would learn about the way that the community worked and they would learn all their math and their English uh, just the, with a particular unit uh, a particular subject that would take um, then when we would do the writing we did what we called a kinesthetic writing writing reading program and uh, that we would talk about things and we would take the kids out for we did a lot of on scene on on uh, like we go to the grocery store things like that and come back and the kids would just talk about particular things and they would tell you particular things and you would write it on what we called the experience chart uh, it was a great big huge huge oh it looked like a great big gigantic big chief tablet is what it looked like and uh, we would write all these things out and then the children would write these things themselves and they would eventually have their own books now in those days they felt that a child who was having troubles writing would have better luck writing cursively from the very beginning rather than doing printing because printing was stop and start and stop and start and they felt it was better to teach them how to read from cursive writing because it was all together and it was much more smooth and they wouldn't get confused with all the stops and starts. Then we would take these pages that they would write in cursive and then type them for them so that they would have their own books to look at. Also if they had a problem with any particular word that they couldn't write or they couldn't spell, we would write them down and they would trace them over and over and over yes. again until they could do that by themselves without even looking. And then they had their own little file and they kept all of these words and these were their spelling words and these were their their regular words and they would always refer back to these whenever they couldn't spell any particular word. Sounds complicated in this day and age, doesn't it? Actually, you know, it's really funny. We talk about, I, I taught like kids that were 6 to 16, I taught every grade, I taught all the music, all the art, all the social studies, all the science, everything, and now they're very slowly in some areas calling it a new thing, a unit method of teaching, and they're going about the same thing. They're right. learning all of their math. Things all over again. Yes, it's sort of, yeah. yeah. What do you think of uh, the schools today, the Carbondale schools especially? Well, I think I was very lucky to end up teaching here for most of my uh, teaching career because I've always been really proud of being right here. All of the teachers I've ever taught with have been excellent teachers. I felt I had some really pretty good uh, people to uh, emulate, like uh, Mary Ferguson was one that I used to <laughs> look and say, oh, I wish I, if I could be just like her, if I could teach just like Mary Ferguson. <laughs> but um, all I know is the kids that graduate and go on from Roaring Fork High School have a pretty darn, they're pretty well prepared for whatever greets them in any college situation anywhere. Um, the, um, the kids will come back and they'll talk to the different teachers and say, boy, it was 
this particular class sure made it easier for me to do this or that or the other thing. And my own daughter even said that when she was in, went to see you, she spent half her time tutoring other kids in English because she had her English and she had her biology down so pat that uh, she didn't have any problems at all in uh, writing papers and things like that. So I think uh, the kids really have a pretty good background coming out of these schools. Yeah. Some kids that came from private schools in Los Angeles, uh, the big schools in Denver were all struggling like crazy. And she said she was, it was you know, pretty easy for her. So we thought we had done a pretty good job not myself personally, because I, I taught mm -hmm. art. I didn't teach any of the English or anything. Remember Mr. Rudy? Yes, I do remember Mr. Rudy. My uh, kids give him credit for the math background they have, because Mr. Rudy was, well, uh, four kids went through Mr. Rudy. And one would come home and says, well, we're doing this. And they didn't, the other one would say, oh, that's on page so-and-so because uh, he taught every class the same way as he went along. <laughs> so they would check with one another, yes, Mr. Rudy did this. But they give him credit for the background that they had in math. We had uh, the same thing when I went to school. At, uh, I went to school in Glenwood Springs High School, and I always remember Mrs. Stapp and, and Ms. Yes. Wadnola. Oh my goodness, it was a love-hate relationship between uh, Stapp and I because I was so scared. She was such a good teacher, but she demanded that you do absolutely the best. And uh, it was really tough for me to maintain my attention on one subject for longer than five minutes at a time. So I think it was a rather bit of a challenge for her. But uh, Patsy Guadnola taught me, Patsy and uh, Mr. Bramble taught me so much in, in uh, music. And I never took music when I was in uh, college, but I did um, do a lot of teaching of music after I have been out of college. That was, um, I've just kind of been thrown into this. And I've used what Patsy and Mr. Bramble taught me as far as directing. I went to the Glenwood School as a seventh grader, and uh, before then I was in, Car in Spring Gulch and Sunlight, and then when those two closed down, I, we went to Glenwood for a year and then came to Carbondale. Now, um, you spoke of, of teaching, of going into your second generation of kids. <laughs> That makes you feel really old. Makes you feel old. I had third generation kids. Dirt. <laughs> but nevertheless, when they come to you and, and ask you questions or tell you things, it's quite a thrill to see these kids growing up. It really is. I think that's one of the biggest thrills of being a teacher. Uh, it doesn't make any difference what level you teach or what you teach. You're going to run into these kids sometime. I Every once in a while, I'll have a uh, a grown man walk, walk up to me and say, I remember you. I remember every Friday afternoon we would go into your classroom and we would have a hootenanny and you would play the guitar and we would sing and play, Hey Nelly Nelly. I'm looking at this huge person thinking, Oh my goodness, I don't remember this person at all. But it is really fun when they come yeah. back and, and say how much fun it happened to be. But then when you start seeing their kids come through, then it's a little scary. <laughs> I know it. I know it. The uh, 
what are some of the problems that you see in our school now, this day? Well, I guess one of the biggest problems right now, I, I can speak personally, is the uh, size of the classes. They are so huge, and you're having to teach so much that I feel like I'm constantly fighting to keep my head above water. I'm not doing the job. I'm not reaching all the kids. I happen to teach art in the high school, and if I have 30 kids in there, which is not always, it ranges between 25 and 30, and when you have uh, students in there that range in uh, ability from like uh, second year art students through kids that have had as much as you know, six semesters of art, um, you really feel like you're not doing them justice. You'll just get somebody started in one thing and you'll go around the room and they're lucky to have individual attention and see you maybe twice during a class period. And that's an hour and a half class period. Uh, that's probably the most frustrating thing is uh, I just feel like I'm not doing what I feel I really could do and should be doing. When I first started teaching, I had the, the third and fourth grades. Yes. And uh, pretty soon we had two third grades and two fourth grades. And uh, now it's been growing even more and more. But uh, that is one of our problems. Too many kids in one just class. Not enough. Just yeah, not too many enough kids teachers. Here. That's right. And I, I, I think it would be so much, um, it would just be so much better if you could have a, a ratio of like 1 to 15. Something. Be, that would be a dream. Yes. That would be an absolute dream. We could really, really get some teaching done with that kind of a situation, but that's also a, a dream is <laughs> what it is because it's not going to happen the way that the uh, money situation is right now and the school we have all a, over for that matter. I mean, every time I feel like I will, I'm going to complain about how many kids I think about the people in, in California and Los Angeles, yes. I can't imagine they have the English teachers that have in one classroom, they've got 46 kids that they have to teach high school English to. That is an impossibility. I taught one year in Los Angeles, and I look back on that experience, and I wonder how I ever survived. And of course, there was another problem because we had the uh, second languages, oh. and I would be explaining something to some little kid, and then he'd say, "No, speak English." <laughs> and I tell you that would, oh, I tell you that would floor me. But we're having that problem here now. We have the Spanish Mexicans coming in. Mm -hmm. We have a and lot of them. We have a, I think it's between 10 and 15 percent of our population now is uh, Spanish American. And uh, it, it actually, it was very frustrating at first because I taught what they called English 1A and I would end up with almost all non-English speaking students and at that time there would be we had no books to teach them with. I had no Spanish background because I, of course, took Latin when I was in high school. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it did help a little bit. The Latin did, but Latin not, helps. not enough to be able to speak with these kids. And so what we did was they taught me and I taught them at the same time. And with there were a lot of girls, particularly, and we would get, I would get the fashion magazines. And we would go through the fashion magazines and we would they would teach me Spanish and I would teach them the English word for all these things in the fashion in the fashion magazines. And I think that was the only thing that they were really 
excited about at that point. But it was very frustrating and, and scary because I thought, I'm going to ruin these kids' psyches for the rest of their lives because they're, they're missing out on a year because I can't speak their language. But it's so much better now. We have so many coming in the near new store, and uh, I'll start telling them how much something costs or something like that. Mm -hmm. I found out that if I write it down, their yes, numbers and our right. numbers, and then they understand me. It, they are, it, it is, they're being taken care of so much better these days, though, because oh, they are, yes. they're given a good, solid dose of just learning English with a person or persons who do speak both languages. And uh, so they have a, a pretty good grasp of the English language before they get into the regular classrooms. So that really helps them uh, an awful lot. And it also helps the teachers, too. It helps them to, it helps the students to just kind of uh, fit in better, too, with the kids. I used to use the chalkboard. Almost everything we did with the chalkboard. Now we have workbooks. And I, where you just underline a word or circle a word or something, I think that's really a detriment to the kids. You might have a point there, Mary. Because, I mean, uh, yeah, because... A lot it's, of the times, that's what they're, they're used to one-word answers. And to have and them write a complete sentence answer is pretty tough. It's pretty tough. For some of them. And I... That's a good point. I tried, uh, when I go to visit school now, and I see their chalkboard covered up with all kinds of things, I think, why aren't they using that chalkboard? <laughs> because the kids went to the board, and they did their own writing, and... It was, well, to me, it was a great help. We had a special penmanship class. Yes. We had to go to that special class. I remember Mrs. Quayle teaching the Palmer Method. Yes, the old Palmer Method. Absolutely, and they would have contests, and you had to learn to write the proper way, cursively, of course. And a lot of kids nowadays don't even know how to write cursively at all. No, and they don't know how to sign their name. And, you know, a lot of kids don't even know their middle name. That's true. Maybe they know it. They don't. They're just trying to pretend probably, they don't know but, it. But uh, the people, everyone signs their name. If it isn't printed somewhere else, you don't know who it is because you cannot mm -hmm. figure out their names. It's a little scrawl of some kind. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't oh. think I should ever say anything about anyone's handwriting. Looking at my own here, <laughs> you get to writing pretty fast, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense here. But you asked about uh, some of the problems that we're having right now, and I think one of the exciting things is that there are so many changes taking place, and it is very, very hopeful to me. Uh, and I think there are good changes that are taking place. It's not just change for change's sake, because I can remember going through college and just getting out as a young teacher, they kept saying, you know, they would keep changing things. I mean, we had the new math, and we would go from yes. one, the pendulum would swing from one end to the other. Completely to the other. And by the time you finally got one thing down pat, they'd say, oh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. That's ridiculous. And then they'd go back to the old basic ways of teaching. But I think they're really changing some paradigms now, and I think that's what's going to have to happen before we can get some good honest change going on in the school systems and I think it's starting at the ground up and I think everyone even parents parents are 
very, very concerned. And we need parents that are concerned, that really want their kids to have, that, that value education. You were going to say something. But. It's too bad that it takes two parents to make a living. And uh, they don't have the time for their children that we had mm -hmm. years ago. And of course, so many of these little kids go home and there's nobody there. And they'll turn on TV and a lot of that shouldn't be on at all. And instead of having reading to their parents or their parents reading to them, that's a great loss in my way of thinking. Well, I was lucky. I was a teacher, and so I was always home when my daughter got home. So that's, I was fortunate that way, too, because we left the house at the same time and got home at the same time. Of course, we lived out in the country. If she got in trouble, I knew it immediately. And that was not fun to have a teacher for a parent. <laughs> of course, you know, a long time ago, uh, children, if they got in trouble at school, they got in the same amount of trouble. I know, I did. <laughs> and uh, I think we need a lot of that kind of back, and there are a lot of parents that still do that today. But a lot of that kind of backing really, really helps. When I got in trouble at school, why... And if I were punished at school, I was punished at home. Mm -hmm. But my mother and father, of course, came from Austria. And they came here with the intentions of being Americans. And so we had to learn the American language. And my mother taught herself to read and write. She even wrote for an Austrian newspaper. And it's, as I say, we can learn. All of us can learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. And that's so tr strange because you think you know everything and you don't. Well, even at the age that I am right now, every day I'm learning something, mostly from my kids. That's one thing about being a high school teacher. It's never boring. No. And you always, always are learning change. something new every single day with those kids. Well, I thank you for coming and talking to us. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, this is Katie and Kay, Miss I Remember, and I hate to admit that I've forgotten more than I remember. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another fantastic installment of This I Remember by Mary Ferguson. For the full archive of all of the episodes, please visit CarbondaleHistory.org. If you would like to be able to search through the entire transcription library of all of her episodes, please email info at carbondalehistory.org. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. Subscribe.